Hello, and welcome to episode 72 of the Medical Device Success Podcast and Videocast. I am Ted Newell, your host. Today's episode is called Career Success in MedTech Startups with guest Jim Surick, Vice President of Sales at Explorer Surgical. During his stellar career, Jim has been part of seven startups, almost all of which have been successful. We cover a lot of ground that have pearls of wisdom for all listeners, whether you are in the C-suite or in marketing and sales. Lots of great career advice. We set the foundation with Jim's current role at Explorer Surgical, where he is heading up sales in a medtech SaaS technology. Some of you may want to implement this technology after you've learned more about it. It can really help companies with unique surgical products scale more rapidly with improved, consistent outcomes. Then we move into his process for deciding whether to join a startup organization. And during all of this, we delve into the strategic and tactical power of startups as learning organizations. Thank you for spending part of your day with Jim and me. If you like what you hear, consider sharing the podcast with a friend or colleague by using the share button on your podcast provider. And I would like to welcome the new members of the MedTech Leaders community. They joined to get access to the part one strategic plan slides that I posted with the podcast in the strategic and planning topic area of the community. And I was about to forget to mention that today's guest, Jim Surick, is a member of the MedTech Leaders community, so you can reach him there. You can learn more about MedTech Leaders at medtechleaders.net. The annual fee costs a few cups of coffee, and there is a free trial. Again, that is medtechleaders.net. Jim is waiting on the other side of this interlude to share the startup selection process that has served him so well the unique Explorer surgical SaaS technology, the strategic and tactical power of learning organizations and other career advice. He will also share the cause of one career choice mistake. Jim, welcome to the Medical Device Success Podcast and Videocast. It's really great to have you as a guest today. Hey, I really appreciate you having me. I'm glad to be here. Excited. It is. I mean, this is a really interesting conversation we're going to have, and I've already you know, given every all the listeners a little bit of an introduction as to what the program's about, but you've just got a great record with your career, and I just think you have so much really you know, good advice to... Uh, give to the listeners and, you know, introspection, insights, and so on and so forth. Tell us what you're currently doing now, uh, what your role is, and a little bit about uh, the company you work for. Sure. So I am the vice president of sales for Explorer Surgical, which is now a GHX company as it was acquired about six weeks ago. Um, So GHX people, a lot of the people that probably just heard GHX went vendor mate, I hate you, you know? And so, right. right? So, but uh, GHX does, uh, you know, a lot of great work with vendor mate, as well as 
GHX stands for Global Health Exchange and um, Global Healthcare Exchange. And what it is, is it's a software company that puts providers together and suppliers, device companies and or, you know, the, the world of suppliers to anything that goes into a hospital and puts them together to reduce basically costs within the healthcare system by creating an exchange in which they, the two can work together more effectively and efficiently. There's other services. There's an ePay service that they're, they've um, recently launched and Lumiere was acquired maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago. And um, so they're, they're in a lot of different things. It's a very dynamic company. Leadership um, is tremendous at GHX, people with a very diverse backgrounds um, from, you know, from clinical all the way just to supply side, GE, uh, medical, I, it's all over the board. And Global Health Care Exchange actually was created by, I, it was five companies, Medtronic, Boston, Abbott, Johnson & Johnson, um, and I'm missing another one. Um, but it, it was it was created to bring companies together to be able to operate more effectively and efficiently in the healthcare space about 21 years ago. Wow. So yeah. way, way before credentialing even. Oh yeah. Yep. So that was an acquisition through, okay. um, through GHX. That was another acquisition. So looking and, and, you know, you Explorer falls into that, you know, for a number of reasons um, that we can get into wh when you want, but um, it's a company that's, you know, very, like I said, very dynamic and on the move and uh, exciting to be with. Right. So I do want you to talk a, a, a bit about Explore Surgical because it is such a cool technology and, and service, I guess is what you would call it. But yeah, tell us a little bit more about that. Cause I think what I want the listeners to do is, is understand where you are at right now and what kind of, you know, in your role as vice president of sales, because this is very different than selling a hip. Oh well, yeah. In a way, in a way, it isn't, but it is very different than selling a hip or selling a pair of scissors or selling um, a monitor that goes into the ICU or something like that. So tell us about Explore Surgical. Yeah. So we're a you know, digital healthcare platform, a software as a service. Um, we we live up into the app world, so we're an application that you would download on any mobile device. And so I want to I want to key on that a little bit because there is you need hardware, but it's any mobile device that you have in your pocket. You could actually use Explorer Surgical with your iPhone or Android phone today if your company decided to go with that service. So it's very mobile. It's very global because you can imagine now with uh, all the different types of phones all over the world that we can help companies access the most distant areas in the, in the world to be able to provide um, connectivity. But Explorer, the thing that's going on with us and the way we look at the world is different maybe than some of our competitors. It's a, it's a digital platform that has three pillars, if you want to think about it that way. The first one, the first pillar truly is a workflow, um, a detailed, data-rich workflow that a provider and that could be a scrub tech, a surgeon, a doctor, um, a circulating nurse would have their own digital playbook for a, for a particular procedure. And what you're trying to do there, it's not an IFU and it's not a, 
you know, a, a regular surgical pamphlet that you hand out to a sales force that they follow a procedure. It's very data rich. We can embed videos, pictures, um, many things. And the value behind that is that if you have somebody, a surgeon or two, or, or you know, a group of surgeons who are the best of the best at a procedure, and they have come together and have designed their own workflow to be able to get the best outcomes. We now can digitize that for the manufacturers, for the device companies. We digitize that and now they can teach that globally. So now the best of the best can can provide that information to anyone in Brazil, in India, in Russia, you know, anywhere in the world now that they have access. So to that particular procedure, which is which is great. Now to add on to it though, is that that is a step-by-step procedure. So within that, the system collects data. It can collect customized data, but it also will collect timestamp data based on that workflow. So now you launch this globally and you're and you're hundreds and thousands of surgeons, doctors are using your product and you're gathering this data not only they're following the best practices that you've decided are the best. Now you can see step-by-step where certain steps in the procedure are taking longer. Somewhere while these surgeons are doing a really fantastic job from an efficiency standpoint here. And um, so it gives you insight into that timestamp data which if you think about it, if I'm on the R&D team, I'm the product development team, I'm in marketing, I'm in clinical affairs. The value of that data now that you have globally to be able to analyze your procedure, your product, and you can start asking questions. Why is it that X percent of the doctors are struggling with these two um, parts of the procedure? Is it our product? Is it our technique? Is it our instrumentation? Is it our training? What is it that we can do to improve to once again, reduce inefficiencies, increase efficiencies, which obviously lead to better patient outcomes globally. And then what we do, that third pillar is that audio visual piece. So we, we immerse people back into the procedure room and we, and this is all done um, really with two iPads. You can have more if you want, but it's really done with two iPads. So you can take a fluoro, you can take a microscope, you can take any sort of scope, anything in a cath lab, hemo, echo, any of that. And you can hook it up to a Microsoft Surface that sends it to our app. So now I'm remote and I'm either a learner or I'm a teacher and I'm remote. I have full access to that OR, that procedure room. I can see everything that's going on. So I can see multiple outputs of, you know, like I said, a microscope, scope, fluoro, hemo, echo, all at the same time. Circulating. Yeah, I got a I got an iPad that's pointed at the table that can see the doctor, the scrub, the circulator, and then I have one a little bit closer that's watching the doctor's hands. Then I have Bluetooth devices that are hooked up, in which I remotely can communicate with the room. I can communicate directly with the doctor. I can annotate, which basically for all us medical device people is a virtual laser pointer. So I can circle things, point on things, draw on things, type on things as if I was back in that room. So 
the, obviously the value of all this is re, recreating that access into that operating room, into that procedure room when you can't be there. This is not a technology that's trying to replace our sales force and our clinical team in the field. This is a force multiplier from many different perspectives because if I'm an R&D, I can no longer get into that operating room, right? It is right. that local rep. That's it. So now it's like, well, that's terrible because I always looked at it. If it wasn't for engineers, I'd probably be the best uh, ditch digger in the world because I can't create anything, right? So I I need engineers in my life and I want them in that procedure room interacting with the doctors so they can iterate and innovate new products, existing products for the betterment of our healthcare system. Now I can have, we can have an engineer instead of seeing one or two cases a day with one doctor can see five, six, seven cases in a day with multiple doctors across the globe. Right. And you think about the value that brings, right? The diversity of value that brings. The same thing goes for marketing and product development. The same thing goes for sales training. I can no longer see if I just launched a sales force of 40 reps and they go out there, I don't know what's going on in that OR. I don't know what's going on in that procedure room because Nobody can watch them. And it's a new product. It's a new procedure. It's a startup. Um, It's new. Well, now I can use a a mobile phone basically just to watch and interact with my sales rep. I, you know, I can get my best doctors to telementor another doctor on a procedure anywhere in the world. I can do broadcast casing. And so you talk about clinical affairs, um, you know, medical education, sales training, as I mentioned. We can put and immerse everybody back into that room, and it's and this is not a Zoom, right? It's more than just audiovisual connectivity. That has value, but collecting data, workflow, and that interaction for innovation and iteration of products to heal our healthcare system is what Explorer is truly about. Right. Yeah, I think it's really cool. You know, it's funny you you talk about because you can scale stuff so readily that you couldn't scale before, especially when it comes to proctoring, you know, with, you know, getting your key surgeons to teach other surgeons how to do something. Like you said, anywhere in the world, they don't have to get on a plane anymore to do this kind of thing. But your point about the sales team, I think that's actually pretty fascinating in that this is a great way that the sales team can also be um, monitored and not from a negative standpoint, but from a helpful standpoint to see how how they're doing with their cases and so on. And I want to go back uh, just so listeners understand this, because I did study the website. And as you know, I interviewed the CEO of Explore um, a while back. So when you talk about workflow, what I think is just so cool is that let's say you're going into uh, your XYZ company and you need to help make sure a particular case goes well with a newer product. And so the, the circulating nurse can look at her iPad or her computer screen, whatever she has access to. She has her own workflow from XYZ company where they found best practice related to circulating nurse getting stuff set up. So maybe it's a list of the things she has to have. Maybe it's an example picture of how everything's laid out. Am I correct on this? Yeah, absolutely. So the circulating nurse now has a great guide 
you know, and steps and, you know, there can be some video there. And so she is really well taken care of. She's got some great information. And if a rep wanted to poke his nose in there and say to Jim, the circulating nurse or Sally, you know, um, oh, you know, I think you might need to um, add a certain piece for this particular procedure because I know what the doctor, he can do that. Yeah. He or she can do that. And then the doctor has his own uh, workflow that he's looking at. And so there's, you know, the different parties, like you said, all these different parties can look at what they're responsible for and it's there and it's all been done for XYZ company. What a great service. I mean, yeah. And, and you know, they're all and the workflows are linked together so that an individual, let's say the scrub tech can move forward in her, in her, his steps. Yeah. But it doesn't impact what the surgeon's seeing or what the circulating nurse is seeing so that when you do go to the next step, everyone is moving forward together. So everyone knows what they have to do next. And, and with all the hospital turnover that's going on, yeah, right? I mean, that's a big problem. So you have this turnover. I was just talking to an orthopedic doctor um, out of St. Louis who um, did some 90 cases in the last month or two and said he had the same uh, scrub tech twice. Wow. I mean, think about that, right? OR efficiencies come just like you and I've discussed in the past from teams. It takes team, it takes teamwork, right? Yeah. And, and those teams need to stick together. But in the face of these challenges that we're in, to be able to utilize and leverage this type of technology to make sure everyone's on the same page, that they can move forward quickly and those cases come out in a more effective and efficient and out, you know, great clinical outcomes. That's what, that's why it was designed. And you know, that that's an excellent point because I, earlier in my career, I was in the OR all the time and you're right. Some of these surgeons, it's like, it's like the superstition they have around certain instruments that they really love or certain techniques that they love. It's also their team. Like, yeah, it's it like they, de- they demand that certain people be in there, but you're right. Right. Today, there's so much going on, the turnover, the interruption with schedules that they can't get that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, so it's, it's, what's really interesting too, is that you could see people that would look at this, like a Salesforce would look at this and say, I'm, I'm threatened by this. It's going to take my job. An iPad is not going to take anybody's job. And so, um, all it is, is a force multiplier for your skill sets and your ability to do more, um, and cover more where you can't. I remember I wrote an article about this on LinkedIn where I was in spine. I started off my days at Danik at sophomore Danik, and I was covering a scoliosis case at Northwestern downtown. And there was a cervical case that was going on in Park Ridge. And there's no, you know, great way of getting from one place to the other with traffic and all that. Told one of the docs in Park Ridge that I would be late. Talked to, talk to him about it and said, there's nothing I can do. This scoliosis case has to go. It's an anterior cervical case. And we, we launched it. It was called Orion, but it was so successful that we were backordered locking screws and you were only getting two per case and you needed exactly two. And so, oh, God. and if you didn't have two, you couldn't do it. Ends yeah. up, there's a little challenge in the OR. And I walked in to the case late with a bunny suit on. Um, I didn't bother to change. You know, I just put a bunny suit on, walked in, and that doc was so mad at me. Um, 
And I actually wrote it. He threw a Penfield floor at me. <laughs> so when I walked in the room, I ducked, said, you can't hit me. I have, you know, Spider-Man type reflexes. <laughs> and so, um, but if I had this device, I would have been able to help even in that scoliotic case that I was in the scoliosis case, I could have stepped out, looked at my phone, gave some direction, been able to communicate with, with that and still make it there and think of how different that outcome would have been. Right. The, the, we did find the patient did fine. Everything worked out, but the outcome would have been so much better if I had that technology and those that are embracing it are really being looked at as um, innovators in their field. You know, they're adopting technologies and for the betterment of the patient in the healthcare system. Right. Now, this is, this is I just think it's, um, it's, it's so cool. And that's a good example of the old days, you know, pre this type of technology, but now you've got this technology and really for the salespeople, it's a huge opportunity to salespeople. And what's like my daughter worked for um, Stryker and then she, she had reporting into her, I guess they were sort of like application specialists, but there was a different name for them at Stryker, but they would assist in surgeries too. They might even be assigned to a hospital, but they worked for Stryker. Um, but you talk about these people just need to learn how to use and explore a sur surgical type system flawlessly. And yeah. if they can do that, then like you said, it's a force multiplier. They're only going to be looked at as heroes and as real professionals. Yeah. Yeah. And, and technology in the med device world is not something that is adopted rapidly. Yeah. Um, something like this. We love our relationships with our, our providers, right? Our surgeon relationships, even the nurses that are in the hospitals. And we sure don't want to put anything in between that. Um, and no one's talking about never walking into an OR again. You're just walk, you're just talking about if I could just replace myself 20 or 30% of the time, if need be, and or if I'm and that's just from a field perspective, the ROI on that is ridiculously high. Now you're talking about everyone else within the enterprise that can have access into those procedure rooms again and never leaving. That is where the force multiple uh, multiplier really comes into play. Sure. Yeah. And, and I think this is another thing um, about Explorer Surgical. So we'll go, we'll, I'm going to ask you a couple more questions, but uh, why is the motto, imagine the possibilities? I like that. Imagine yeah. the possibilities. Well, because it's software. And you can do anything. Um, our R&D team, our engineering team, they are phenomenal. We have customers that say, hey, we would like to try to use Explore this way, or can you add this feature? It's not like the FDA where you have to wait two years before you get something new out in the market. They can get something to you in weeks. Sometimes Eugene is our, is our chief technology officer. And I was asking them when I first got here, I was like, well, you know, I was on this call and the doc or the, the customer wanted to see if we could do this, this and that. Oh, oh, Jim, I don't know if that's possible. This was a Friday. I'll have to think about it. By Monday, he goes, oh, I figured it out. <laughs> right. And so he's sandbagging me. But um, but that's it. Imagine the possibilities. What do you want to do? Right. Because it's software and right. and we can do what you need it to do. And if you have the right team and we do. Imagine the possibilities, what you can do. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. So just to reiterate to everybody that's listening or watching this is this is an SAAS type of product, software as a service. And 
most of you are thinking of uh, salesforce.com or HubSpot or something like that when you think of SaaS. Um, so you're, most people might be somewhat familiar with this because you're using it with your CRM, for example. But if you look at uh, Jim's career, which is really interesting, he never had any type of software as a service career in his background. So we're going to get into that. But I wanted people to really understand where you are now, because it's so different than selling something very tangible. And I'm going to ask you another question, because um, we're going to, as we get into your career, but how many startups or emerging growth companies have you worked for? So seven. Okay, seven. Yeah. Startups and or emerging growth companies. Okay. And just sort of briefly, because we're going to get into this more later, but what do you like? I mean, obviously you like doing this. So what do you like about the startup environment? Well, it's it's really funny is um, we, you and I, we were both um, Thunderbird graduates, right? Yep. We were having this conversation about going to Thunderbird and right. it was, um, and we have similar stories is that I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I know I didn't want to follow the same path everyone else was following. And so I went off to this international school where half the students were from all over the world and uh, just a dynamic place. And so when I relate that to the startup world, it's un- it's new, it's undefined. Um, you have to have an open book towards it and you're free to be creative and think through things versus being a regimented role. And so um, the, that's what I like about it. Um, even at Explorer and wherever I've gone, I was always interacting and my team as well. It wasn't just me. When I say me, I'm really talking about my team. We would interact with R&D on a regular basis, marketing on a regular basis, clinical affairs on a regular And so there was always that interaction and creativity. And that's what breeds enthusiasm. It breeds excitement. And you want to get up in the morning versus you know, I've been told to be in my box and this is my box and don't go outside your box and don't think outside your box, just stay in your box. I just couldn't do that. Yeah. And so that's just my, I mean, that's either a mental condition, you know, <laughs> or, or, you know, and so, uh, you know, that I just love that part of it. And the startup world is, it's just exciting. And you meet the most dynamic people as well. Sure. Sure. And you've had some success, which we're going to get into uh, in a second. But to, for listeners and viewers, uh, Thunderbird is not named, that school is not named after the wine that was so terrible that some of us drank when we were young. It's actually, <laughs> actually, <laughs> it's actually called, it's the Thunderbird School of International Management uh, out of Arizona. Now I think it's owned by, um, is it Arizona state or Arizona university? No, Arizona state, Arizona state in Tempe. And they've got a brand new, beautiful building. It's the, it's always in the top five, if not the top international schools in the world. So both Jim and I went there, we're both alums and, um, and it is a terrific program. Um, okay. Another thing I want to mention is that you're also an occasional podcaster, Medical Sales Nation, and some really good podcasts there. If anybody wants to look them up, some really interesting people, you have access to some really terrific um, executives that you've interviewed and other people. So uh, I just want to you know, sure. give you, you know, give you credit for that. Okay. So seven emerging growth and or startup companies could be sort of one and the same, but where did you really start? 
you know, what was, let's go into your career and look at what the foundation was sure. to help set you up for success in these, in these uh, startups. Yeah. So it, it's interesting because going back to Thunderbird, I was graduating and in that time I uh, became engaged and um, I was coming out and it was in the um, it was 92, 93. And there was a recession going on and there was um, Hatchet Jack, uh, Jack Welch, you know, firing people. And it was going on all over the place. I saw my friends, parents getting laid off, but the only place that wasn't having that um, happen was in the medical device world. And I had a, my good friend, my roommate in college at Loyola. Um, he was selling for a distributor out of Chicago and um, and then I think then he moved to Michigan and he was selling for a manufacturer and he set me up with some interviews and I started my career off at General Medical and General Medical was absorbed by McKesson and I was selling basically uh, medical supplies to doc's offices and I was the worst sales rep there ever was doing that um, but it taught me um, grit on getting up every day and just getting your butt kicked in trying to sell you know, table paper to a doctor's office, not very exciting. Um, so when, you needed let me interrupt you a second. Sure. When you went to Thunderbird, did you even think you were going to be a salesperson? No, I, I, I really didn't know. I didn't know. Neither did I, I. neither did yeah, I. <laughs> okay. It, it, I didn't know. I just was looking to see what was interesting and, you know, and in, in, right. in the world and my mom's a nurse and looking at healthcare, I was like, you know, I, I'm going to check this out. Cause this looks more fun than selling, you know, industrial chemicals, if you will, you know? So, so I wanted to get in that and I knew I'd have to put my time in. So about a year and a half later, I was interviewing for, um, with an orthopedic distributor, hips and knees in Chicago. And then I was approached by a gentleman by the name of Pat Pilcher, who um, is still in the device world, who was the distributor for Danic at the time. And we started talking and I had an offer from both and, um, it's kind of why I'm in startups is that when I was asking people their advice, I'm like, where should I go? What should I do? Everyone. And I mean, everyone told me to go to the big orthopedic device company. It's safe. Do not go to, to Danic. It's, it was sophomore Danic and then Medtronic sophomore Danic. Um, but don't go to Danic because of the uh, pedicle screw litigation. Doctors are going to go to jail. Medical device companies are going to go to jail. You know, it's, there's no future in that. And so I just sat there and I go, wow, everyone's telling me to do that. So I'm going to go the other way. And, and that's just kind of how my brain works was just like, I don't want to follow that same path. Maybe this is a trailblazer. Yeah, there's issues, but there's issues everywhere. And so I went into spine and, um, it, it was some of the greatest people. Um, Ron Pickard was the CEO at the time, probably just a fascinating guy who fought the pedicle screw litigation um, almost single-handedly, defeat, defeated all those class action lawsuits, thrown away, and then spine exploded once the FDA was able to take a pedal. It wasn't even, you couldn't even sell a pedicle screw. It was a, a sacroiliac screw at the time. That's all you could say, never pedicle screw. As soon as that was over, spine exploded. And if it wasn't for a guy like Ron Pickard, the spinal implant industry would not be what it is today. And so being in that environment and being around these people and the, the fun that we were having as we were bringing in all these new technologies was just really, really exciting. And that, that 
changed, I mean, changed me or reinforced who I was to be able to continue to down that startup path. Sure. And I think one point I'd, I'd like to make is if when we go back and look at um, the sort of the general distributor you're working for before that got acquired by McKesson, it was a good foundation in a big company. Yeah. Right. And yeah. which, which I, which I always am, I always like that in somebody's career path, big company, good processes, good learning. Um, they have training courses and stuff like that gets you a good foundation so that when you have that opportunity, like you did, uh, to go into spine, you know, you're prepared for it. Um, so that was your first one. And then you moved on, uh, there into a couple other, um, yeah. but the point is also that you were selling, like I said, tangible products. Um, and now you're in SAAS and that's, yeah. that's an interesting change. So is there anything else you'd like to share about your career path? Um, you know, after, you know, as you got into spine, but you went on to there, I mean, you worked in a couple different market market areas. Yeah. So was, um, I ended up becoming the VP of sales and development at Medtronic sophomore Danik. I was there nine, 10 years, worked my way up and, um, Medtronic came in, acquired the company and I was there about a year and a half maybe. And I got a call, you know, to come interview with a company called advanced bionics and advanced bionics, um, was a cochlear implant company, but they were starting a neuromodulation division for pain management. And I, you know, went down to Valencia, California and interviewed, you know, with, uh, the founder of the company and, um, the, uh, president CEO, Jeff Greiner. And it was really funny because I, I went on that interview and Jeff is asking me what I'm going to do and how I would approach this market. And I, and I do have this, you know, like I said, a a mental problem is that I look (laughs) at things differently. And I, and I said, I would not hire any existing reps that are with the competition. It was only Medtronic and it was ANS at the time, which is now St. Jude, which is now Abbott actually. So um, I said, I'm not going to hire them. I'm going to hire young sales reps who are selling B2B that it would sell, you know, copiers, um, fax machines, Pitney Bowes, um, FedEx, cur- any sort of courier, some pharma reps, but I'm not hiring any medical dev- device reps, except my management team is going to come from a medical device background, but they're not all going to come from spine. They're going to come from a variety of backgrounds because we need, we need a team and we need different thoughts and ideas. He leans back in his chair we're at dinner and he puts his hands behind his head and he goes, just so you know, you told me everything opposite of what I've been told by everyone else and how they had attacked this market. And, and I just said, well, I mean, if you're going to do it, if you're going to just follow the same path, then yeah, just go hire those folks. But you're, you're not going to have that dynamic environment that you really want to have in a startup organization because you are going up against Medtronic who owned 85% of that market, who built that market. They're not going to just lay over and die, you know, because this technology is so great. Um, cause it was advanced. The technology was advanced. And, um, we ended up, uh, under Jeff's leadership, getting to, uh, around 300 commercial people in the field, wow. 200 million in revenue in about three and a half years. And then Boston side came in and, and acquired it for around, around $3 billion. And, um, so that cochlear implant company then, 
Boston didn't really want it. It was having some FDA challenges and Boston was having FDA challenges with the acquisition of guidance. This was all going on at the same time. So they actually, they didn't, they, they gave back the cochlear implant business to the shareholders of advanced bionics. I say give back. It was, you know, not much that the company had to pay for to, to retain ownership. So then uh, I went and joined Jeff back over at the cochlear implant business and um, worked with the sales force there and education and bringing sales and training and different thought processes. And then Sonova Medical came after we, it was a little bit of a turnaround, came and bought it about 21 months later and for about 500 million bucks. Oh. And, and, and then uh, it was just interesting is that Paul Violet and uh, David Milne were part of the acquisition team of advanced bionics at Boston I left the cochlear to go to cochlear. They left to go to Indeventure um, uh, Capital and uh, um, SV Life Sciences. I think it's called something else today. Uh, Paul's still there. And uh, Dave, I think, has a small role still there. And so I got a call saying, hey, Paul wants you to see if you would uh, interview for Intellis. Um, it's kind of a turnaround. They're going to have a down round and see if you can go in there and uh, give us your thoughts on, on what it would, what we could do with this. So I interviewed with it. Tom Restman uh, was the founder and co-founder and CEO and him and I, you know, talked and I don't want to say had a philosophized about anything, but we just had different ideas of what was going on and how to change this. And he ended up hiring me and I went there and it was a turnaround. I came, there were 12 reps and within a week there were three um, because they all left because I, I scared them by saying, we're <laughs> going to start doing things differently. And so um, and then we built that Salesforce up back over a hundred. Um, Stryker came in about seven years later and bought it for about 700 million bucks. And so another you know successful turnaround, competed directly against Johnson & Johnson, did a different twist of... Uh, of the approach, once again, created a great team, created this learning organization. That's the one thing I need to mention is that with all of this interaction and interacting with marketing and interacting with R&D and clinical affairs and the CEO and president, they're building a learn, it's a learning organization. The culture that succeeds is our learning organizations uh -huh. where everyone is willing to learn from each other. And you shouldn't be afraid if you made a mistake or you did something wrong, just stop doing it because we learn from it, do more of what's working, find out what else is going to work. And so through those, um, those processes and flipping the pyramid upside down is what I would always say. And what I mean is you got the CEO and president at the top, but flip that pyramid so the frontline salespeople are, have the loudest voice so that you're listening. Now, that doesn't mean you listen to everything a sales rep says because you'd have 10,000 brochures that you needed to help them sell, right? Right, but, right. But if you can isolate the noise that 80% of the people are talking about that are in the field and you start to realize, okay, there's something there, let's talk about it. Now you start to refine your process, refine your product, refine your messaging. And you're just doing that incrementally along the way and this is within every organization I've been with, right? Just fine tweaking, learning, listening from the customers. And you're tweaking it along the, the way. And that learning organization creates the sales organization to be more engaged. Right. And for example, um, what we found were certain reps when we launched at Atelis, we built, we hired 20 new reps. 
um, trained them, sent them out. And we were just, there were a few, four or five that were just on fire. And they were like, why are you on fire? So we flew them in with their management team. We sat at a table and I just sat there. Tell me what you're doing. What are you doing differently? You know, and all of them had the same process. And the one thing is, is the training is also incredibly important. There's sales training and there's clinical training and the sales training, we make it tough. So, so training is tougher than reality because once you get into reality, you find out how easy it is because we put you through such a tough training program with role plays, role plays work if you do it right. Um, Well, that also creates a very cohesive team within a training organization. When that sales training class they would identify this happened at Advanced Bionics or it happened at Intellis. They identified by which training class they were in. We were the uh-huh. number one, right? We were three. We're training class four. It created that bond because it was like going through boot camp. I mean, we right. did make it tough, but they would talk to each other. So the best always are talking to each other. So they laid out a process and how they were selling in the office because we were moving these procedures from the OR to the office with balloon sinuplasty. And so we took what they were doing, we put it down on a piece of paper, we laid out the steps, we um, created role play scenarios based on each character or, you know, persona within an office. And surprisingly, you don't call on the doctor first, you have to get through that receptionist. Then that receptionist takes you to the office manager, the office manager then introduces you to someone else. Then finally, you get to the doctor. So we built this process and through that process, we were able to capture 65, 75% of the office-based procedure against Johnson & Johnson. We didn't have the dollars. We didn't have um, the manpower they had, but we had the right process. We had the right team. We had the right culture and a learning organization. And we had the right training, uh, you know, the sales and clinical training process and the support you know, from the board um, and the president CEO of the company. That is what makes startups exciting. And that mix of, of team and learning and going through this battle together and being open is what makes those successful. Uh, I love it. That is really a great explanation for not only why you like startups, but also how a startup um, culture and ecosystem can be um so powerful if it's led the right way, like you said, invert the triangle. Yep. So the other day when you and I were talking, so anyway, now people have a great flavor for where you came from, what you've achieved, some of your philosophies behind what you have achieved, which are great, which are all, it's all great learning for anybody that's listening to this. You, the other day you talked about a decision-making process that you used because you said that, even though we've you've had a, a great number of successes, which is really unusual, by the way, and sure. you probably know that, but fortunately, you're you're a successful person. But you talked about a decision making process that you go through. Could you walk us through that? Sure. So, um, it's it's kind of like when I was looking at spinal implants versus orthopedic um, hips, knees, and, and the general stuff that was happening over there. There was a very established. There were more than three competitors, and it didn't. It wasn't growing rapidly, and um, and so then when I was looking at spine, there were really only two or three competitors. The technology was advancing; you could really compete in it. So, is the technology different? How many competitors are there? Because if there's ten, it's a commodity. 
Um, regardless what people say, it's a commodity. Um, maybe even more than five, it's a commodity at that mm-hmm. point. And so, you know, two to three competitors, really cool technology, whether it's a new market, creating a new market, or like at Advanced Bionics on the pain side, it was almost like creating a new market because the technology was so advanced, they were able to do things that the conventional technology couldn't. And, and so I looked at it from that perspective. Cochlear implants, there's only two or three competitors. The, the technology was advanced, just needed some you know fine tweaking. Intel is the same thing. There was one competitor. And this market of moving patients from the operating room to the office is what really attracted me to that to the company alongside you know with the leadership team there is because it was something new it was something different and it you you're going to engage people in concept and thought advanced bionics was the concept and thought was you can treat focal low back pain and right toe pain at the same time without overstimulating a patient and un- and stimulating areas you didn't need no way can that happen that was like, no, we have the technology to do that. And tell us, we're going to take those patients that you're taking to the operating room that is taking seven days to, to recover under a lot of pain, uh, you know, taking up time in the operating room. And we're going to treat those patients in your office. And they're going to go home that day and back to work the next day. There's no way that's going to happen. Right. I love that. Right. There's no way this is going to work. And, you know, and so even when it came to, so like you said, I mean, device, 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 tool, and then digital health. And, you know, I looked at digital health and I looked at um, Explorer and it's funny because I had Jennifer uh, on, a, on my podcast. That's how I met Jennifer, the CEO. You know, she called me a couple months later and said, you know, hey, I really need somebody to come in. And there were a handful of competitors. It's new. And it's something that will bring value to the marketplace. Some happen quicker than others. Others take longer. It's like at Advanced Bionics, did I think we were going to get to $200 million in three years? No way, right? But did I think Intellis was going to take seven to eight years? No, I thought it was going to take three to four. And you know, you look at where Explorer is, we're in the infancy of creating a market that's still yet to be defined because we have to imagine the possibilities, right, mm-hmm. of, of where it can go. And so it's it's being really focused on that, not uh, not the money, right? If you chase the money, you're, you're and I've made that mistake in my career. Not all of them have been, you know, a- acquisitions. Some of them have, have not been <laughs> very good, bad bad decisions on my part. But that's okay, you know. It's just do it for the right reasons and the passion. And if you can find that, then you, you'll be you'll have that success. But you have to know when you go to a startup, there's a lot of risk involved. Okay. Right. Now, now, so far, like you've talked about competition and the, you've sort of talked about the value funnel and a little bit oh, about sure. the market. But you also talked about the team being important. Tell, tell me a little bit more about when you're, when you're looking at an opportunity, a startup opportunity, you, the team was important to you. Yeah. So team is, team is everything. And um, for example, let's take Jeff Greiner again. When, when he told me that I told him the exact opposite of everyone else that was interviewing for that job and he hired me, I knew he was, he was the leader that I wanted to be with because he was open, right? He, had the, he was open to listening to different ideas from different people. And so then you met his team 
And you found out that this was going to be that learning organization over the long term. And so, and then from my perspective, building a team and surrounding myself with some people with similar backgrounds, so we can talk about how we look at it, but I'm hiring people with completely different perspectives and backgrounds that are complementing a skill set I don't have. Um, and by doing that, I'm putting people around me that challenge the way I look at things, but it's not in a bad way. It's because we're trying to get better as a team, right? Look at it from this perspective. So it's that learning organization, but you can only have that learning organization if you have the right team. If you don't have a team that's willing and ready to listen to other ideas, you will never have a learning organization and you will never pivot to move in the right direction either. So that that team has to be a combination of open-mindedness, a learning organization, and a willingness to admit to themselves in the mirror that they were wrong about something and not really care about it, put the ego at the door. Who has the right decision? It's like at Intellis when we brought in the reps. I didn't have the right decision. My management team didn't have the right decision. We, we were trying to figure this out. And our sales reps were just empowered to go do what you needed to do to win. And they came back with the right decision. So that team and hiring that right, those right people are, are really critical to that success. Okay. So, okay. So team, look at what the competition is. Uh, look at the value funnel and then the market. We haven't talked about the value funnel yet. Okay. Let's talk about that then. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so when it comes to like picking that product out as, as we go back to the, the one other thing that I left out is, you know, when you're looking at the product and what value it's going to bring, I, in, in my mind, I have this, this funnel. So it's truly a, a, a funnel and the top third layer is the clinical value of to the, the clinical value. The middle piece is the financial value and the bottom third is strategic value. And what you ask yourself is what is the clinical value to the patient, the practice, the doctor, and the healthcare system. You do it with the financial value. What is the financial value to the patient, the practice, the doctor, and the healthcare system? Strategic value, the same thing. And you're almost dropping a product through that funnel. And if you can answer those questions, you have a viable product. You do not have a commodity. You have something that's going to impact healthcare. And it's going to impact the way in which you can have conversations with your with the people your customers your potential customers it raises the conversation level higher than probably the people that are talking about it today because we're probably talking features and benefits features and benefits my relationship with the doctor i always said you'll have a relationship with the doctor when you deliver clinical financial and strategic value to the patient practice and the healthcare system you do that you will build that relationship much quicker and everywhere i've gone i've seen that happen because we're raising the level of the conversation and then what you do with that, if you have that answer, then you pour it into a market value matrix. And that market value matrix is, is the first three are the same, clinical value. But what, what truly is the clinical value? Now I have to, you have to tell me what that is. So advanced bionics, we're going to treat multiple pain areas independently so you don't have to overstimulate a patient's body. Very precise. Okay, what's the value to that? And, and to to the patient and the practice and the uh, the healthcare system and the doc, what's the value? Let's line that out. Now the next one is you know we talked about um, so that's really uh, the clinical the, the technology proof. The clinical proof is do you have any clinical proof that actually does that? 
Because if you don't, then I use something what we, we didn't at the time was the law of, of physics. We just said, well, the law of physics dictates that this will work. But you then, so you have the clinical value. Then what's the financial value and lay it out, define it. It's your value propositions. And then you go to the strategic value. Then you go to the company value. Then you go to the product value. And you're laying these things out because these are going to be your value based um, propositions that you're going to lay out in your sales training. So if I can't take a product that goes down that funnel, I can't create a market value matrix. I don't have a product. I have a commodity. And that's how, you know, I, I look at that. And that's been developed over, you know, years of working with some, you know, really great people um, down the road and working with a team to put that together. Um, but if you look at it in it very objectively, can you create value propositions? you know, clinically, financially, strategically for the patient practice, the healthcare system and the doc and lay them out and that you can say in under 10 seconds, you've got something. Okay. No, that's really great. So now we sort of have your formula for looking at uh, a startup opportunity. Actually, somebody could apply it almost to any opportunity, right? You any, can. Any, any job opportunity, but in particular, a startup emerging growth uh, t- technology of some kind. Let's come full circle now and, you know, to where, no, actually, before I come full circle, did you ever make, tell me about a mistake? Well, I don't want to be too specific, but yeah, we're, you don't have to give names or yeah, a company yeah. name or anything, but just something, a general description of, yeah, of the um, mistake and why, and why, and how the mistake happened. Bad team. Okay. I, 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 um, it was just a bad team. Um, and, and in retrospect, I didn't do my due diligence and I didn't listen to somebody who was, this is, you know, I considered like a second father. I ignored his advice because I didn't want to hear it. Right. Yeah. I thought I had something and, um, and I think it still has very great potential, but the team, was not right. And I, and I wasn't a fit because I couldn't work with a team of people that were creative and open and willing to engage on what works, what doesn't work. And so, um, so I didn't follow my own advice. And looking back or did you sort of feel that when you were in that interviewing situation or it, it was, do you think like you were ignoring it? Like you were just, you were, you were like, putting it out of mind because you were so interested in just plowing ahead, you know, how did you, what, what, what were the blinders that set you up for this? Yeah. Because I thought um, I could do anything. Okay. Right. And I'll I'll be fine. I'll, I'll get through this. And it was pure, really arrogance and ego where it was like, I can do this. And I didn't listen to my own advice, but I'll tell you what greatest experience, one of the greatest experiences of my life, because that'll never happen again. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, it's like, uh, let's, it's like from Goodfellas, Ray Liotta, you know, everybody needs a beaten every once in a while. <laughs> and so I got my beaten. <laughs> so, okay. So that woke me up. Yeah. So now let's come full circle to explore surgical. You go from the, the device world. And when I think of device, I'm thinking of the pure device, gadget, gadget, diagnostic, surgical device, whatever it might be. And now you're an SAAS, software as a service. What was that like making that decision? Well, it's just like everything we talked about is yep. that if you look at it from an open mind 
And how can I apply this to the way I've looked at things in the past? It was fairly much the same because you're delivering value. Okay. So at Advanced Bionics, I wasn't selling you a um, neuromodulation pain management device. I was selling you clinical, financial, and strategic value for all those people, the multi-headed customer that I mentioned. Went to Intellis. I'm not selling you a balloon on a stick. I'm selling you a way in which you have clinical strategic value for that multi-headed customer that's changing people's lives, right? So the product should never even come out of your bag until you've got that interest from that person that you're talking to in a, in a conceptual way. If they're interested in what we're talking about, then I'll show you the product, but the product really doesn't matter. Let's assume it works before anything else. Otherwise, what I'm telling you doesn't matter. So I'm going to assume it works. Let's assume. Now let's talk, right? It's the same thing with this. I just looked at it and said, it's value. We're selling value. And you know, when you look at the clinical value, holy cow, the best of the best can train people globally. There's no greater clinical value right now in this globe to reduce healthcare costs and greater patient outcomes, right? Dr. Gada, who does, um, 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 has, has worked with us and has teaching doctors all over the world, his technique, because it's one of the best, the world is better off because of that clinically, right? right. Financially, for everyone involved, he did that from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, right? I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And then when you look at it from a strategic perspective, and you're talking about the multi-headed customer in, in every way, shape, and form, it's better for the patient. It's better for the doctor. It's better for the practice. It's better for the healthcare system. And from a strategic perspective, if I'm a, the first one to adopt this technology, now I'm bringing value to my customer. Right. Right. That device company is bringing value to that customer as well as themselves. So that's how I looked at it. And I think, you know, when we were talking um, earlier, when I said, you know, everyone was telling me not to go to Advanced Bionics, when Advanced Bionics got bought by Boston and I was going to the cochlear division, everybody thought I was crazy. <laughs> right. Because it was, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a problem. And then I'm leaving to go to Intellis that, is having a problem with a down round. And so you could look at things that way and listen to everyone. But, um, and it's the same thing with digital. You're going into digital health. You could think, you know, you're crazy. And, and I guess the advice I would give to people is look at it through a different lens and um, be open-minded. I mean, use what I've you know shared, I guess, if you, you know, if you can, Use it in a way in which when you're looking at these different technologies, what's the upside? Can you create that clinical financial strategic value for that multi-headed customer? And if you can answer those simple questions, it's going to be easy. And the other reason, so we talked about the, the switch to digital health, let's talk about leadership. Like, you know, Jeff Greiner, you know, far above most leaders in, in all of med tech, someone that I look up to. And then I met Jennifer. You know, Jennifer's this young CEO, right? Who started her first company 10 years ago. Well, she has a great team. I, I met her team. I did the podcast. I went to their office. I met the team. And so for me, she, she literally called me and um, said, I have this, you know, opportunity. Would you be willing, you know, to look at it? 
And I, and I jumped on it, you know, suggest, absolutely. And I didn't have to think too deeply because I already did about it, but right. it was that team that I was jumping into. And, you know, so for me, I'm selling value. I'm providing value. It doesn't matter if it's a balloon on a stick, if it's a neural pain, if it's a pedicle screw, what is that value? And if I can articulate it in 10 seconds, I know I have something. If it takes me five minutes to explain the value, I really don't have any value. Got it. Well, that's great. Any other thoughts about the differences between working in a large corporation and a startup? It's, it really comes down to the freedom that you have. There are some large organizations that start you know, these um, uh, side projects that become somewhat of a startup. Right. So if you can find that there, that's great. Going um, big companies, people really thrive in that. Um, I don't, right? Unless I'm giving the freedom to work with a very creative group of people to try something new, um, then that's going to work out. But the difference truly is it's a, it's a risk-reward type of situation. There is a ton of risk. Like you mentioned, you're in a couple of startups that didn't work out. That's a majority of startups, right? Yes. And there's a lot of risk. So you have to be willing to take that risk and not worry about it every day. And I have talked people out of coming to the company, any of the companies. Like, no, you don't have a secretary, right? Nobody's doing this for you. You're doing it all on your own. And yeah, we're out of money. And 12 months if we don't raise another round, right? That's just the way it is. And um, sure, we could have FDA issues. If we do, that's going to be really crushing. Might get through it, but it's going to be crushing. You just have to know that going into it. So, um, and where do you thrive? And there's nothing wrong for working some the big strategics. So many, so many smart, bright, brilliant people at those companies um, that they work there. And I, it's not better to work at a startup Right. And it's not better to work at a big strategic medical device company, just who you are. Right. right. I know I agree with that. I, I th and I think you can start at a, at a large strategic just to get some of that grounding and that experience. But if your heart is and mind is more of the startup type of personality, uh, you will find your way. And then if, if you use um, some of these, uh, some of this path that you defined for us just a few minutes ago to help make some of your decisions, you know, your, the, the team you pick, the, the company you pick to work for in a startup environment, but you're right. Yeah. I've frequently worked in a situation where you could say we run out of money in you know, six, eight, 12 months. And um, even though they're trying to raise it, you could run out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. What the other interesting thing about startups is the people that are attracted to startups, I want to, to put this out there, is that I now know more people that worked for me in, in a sales position and moved up to management who have now started their own companies. So I've got, you know, um, this Todd Ladle, he was over at uh, Advanced Bionics. He started his own company with two other sales reps that came out of Advanced Bionics in the pain management business. Ryan Brooks, he was a manager um, with me at uh, rep and manager with me at Advanced Bionics. He has multiple businesses that he's running. He has his own venture for, right? So, I mean, he's one of the most dynamic individuals you'll ever meet. They're just a great guy. Nick Bingy worked for me at um, Advanced Bionics at Intellis, has his own company that he started. 
Uh, I mean, it's just, if you can see yourself having your own company and truly putting the grit into it, then that's where you can go. Sam Nassar, he's a recruiter. He worked for me at Advanced Bionics. Now he has a recruiting firm that he's been doing for over 10 years. Entrepreneurial thinking, risk takers. If you can see yourself doing that, don't tell yourself you want to start a business, um, that you want to own your business, but do you truly want to? Then go to a startup. Okay. You, you will learn what it's like to run a business. You will learn um, what what it takes to own your own business. So very, very proud uh, having been associated with these, these individuals that have gone on and have you know surpassed um, myself and, and others in the ventures that they've done. And uh, um, so think about it also in that perspective. Absolutely. No, that's great. Um, any other final bits of knowledge that you want to share, whether it's uh, career education, performance recommendations, you know, for people that are considering uh, going the startup route or, you know, even anything in general relative to their career? You know, um, you know, manage that, you know, manage the career correctly. Um, there's a guy, he's a recruiter, executive recruiter, Mike Moore. So let's take your, take your career more seriously than anything else outside your family and, and your faith um, and your health. That That's the next thing that you should take seriously and know who you are. As we talked about where you are in your life, doesn't mean where you're going to be 10 years from now. My father-in-law um, would say that he would uh, evaluate you know his life every five years and look back at it where am I going? What do I want to do? And, and in those five-year increments. Um, so from a, from a career perspective, just because what you're doing here today doesn't mean that's what you're going to do 10 years from now, but you can only think that way if you have an open mind about it. Right. Exactly. And so um, it's like my daughter um, as her first job out of, out of college. And, and, you know, she asked me all these questions all the time. And I said, just do your job that you're doing today. Right. And do it really, really well. Um, don't worry about the next move. You've, you haven't even been there a year. And that comes from a younger generation, like always trying to move up. And it's like you get uh, the younger generation, just calm down. Right. <laughs> right. right? You're not going to get promoted to the president of the organization in three years. You're not going to take your boss's job in two. Be great at what you do today. Right. And then I will tell you this is like the things I'm, I'm bringing up about, you know, the market value matrix and the value funnel. If you're a sales rep, talk to your marketing team, have these conversations, be willing to build those relationships internally, not for political purposes, but for education purposes, ask them what they think about what the these values are for this multi-headed customer. How can you as an individual learn from somebody internally and the R&D team as well? Ask them why they created the product. What's the value to the patient, the practice and the healthcare system, clinically, financially, and strategically, and see what they say. Compare it to what marketing says. Why is there a difference? Why are they the same? Start educating yourself on the way in which people look at things. If you can do that and do that from a young age and a young career perspective, you will become a learner right? And you will appreciate other people's perspective on the products and the things they do. You might not agree with it, but you can appreciate their perspective. And, or you may agree with it, which will, you know, then you get greater, you know, engagement of concept and thought. So I would just say that. And, uh, and as you evaluate yourself, as you walk, walk through your career and you get to a point where you're saying, you know, I, I want to take that 
that step into a startup, um, do your homework, do your research on the companies, um, the management team. If you're looking at a company that might be two years from commercialization, go ahead and send a LinkedIn uh, message to the president CEO of that company. Tell them you're looking for a job. Just say, hey, I'm watching what you're doing. You know, it's really interesting. If I can be of any value, let me know. But, you know, I'm just encouraging your success. Just do that and the doors will open up. But know yourself. If you're not a risk taker, don't go to a startup, right? <laughs> if, you're, if you're worried about your bonus check next quarter to pay your mortgage, don't go to a startup. So I, I hope that's helpful. It's very helpful. Uh, Jim, this has been really terrific. Uh, thanks so much for being on today and sharing all of this. There's so many pearls of wisdom in what we've just been through over the last hour that, um, you know, I, I when I edit, I take notes. And so I'll probably have like four pages of notes as I'm editing <laughs> this. So anybody that's listened, you might have to listen again and take some notes, but thank you so much. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. And it was it was great. And if anyone wants to reach out to me, just go to LinkedIn, find me, reach out. I take phone calls. People always want to chat. And uh, I'm more than willing to meet you and help in any way I can. Yeah. And I'll have um, in the show notes, I'll have your LinkedIn profile link and uh, the Explorer Surgical link, GHX link. Uh, that'll all be there. All right. Do you feel like you just got hit with a deluge of great career and leadership advice? First of all, there is the Explorer Surgical SaaS technology that is so powerful. Then I like how Jim could define an evaluation process to follow when considering a career change, especially in how it relates to deciding to go with a startup. But this process could really be applied to a lot of career considerations. You need to think about the team, the competition, the value funnel, and the market matrix. The discussion on the power of learning organizations was illuminating too. In the end, Jim says, be great at what you do today. Good advice. Thanks again for spending time with us today. Now go win your week on your way to being great. Great.